Have you ever wondered how deep tech companies actually start? Well, we were too. So in this podcast, we'll be interviewing scientists and entrepreneurs that have taken their ideas out of the lab and turned them into startups. I'm Antonia. And I'm Christina. And this is Startup the Science. This podcast is brought to you by Enon Berlin, the innovation network for advanced materials, bringing together the brightest minds in material science. Visit us at enom.berlin. Hi, everyone. Christina here. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Startup the Science. I'm flying solo for the intro today because of a time crunch issue, but this time crunch was well worth it because today's episode features Vladimir Pankov. He's the CEO of Oxifen Tech, and Oxifen was one of the 2018 AdmaCom participants. They are based in Moscow. So it's very rare that we actually get to meet some of these out-of-country startups face-to-face. And a few weeks ago, Vlad reached out to us and told us that he was going to be in Berlin. It turns out that Oxfen was invited by the EIT Raw Materials Summit to pitch their startup, which is fantastic. But we also took advantage of this opportunity to reel him into our studio to interview him for this podcast. And we are so happy to have him here. So today, Oxfen's going to be talking about their anti-frictional wear-resistant composite materials, which is used in heavy industry. But I think it would be best to leave the explaining up to Vlad. (laughs) So without any further ado, on to the main event. Enjoy. Welcome back to Berlin. It's nice to have you here. Hello. Um, yeah, so today we're talking to, should we call you Vlad or Vladimir? Uh, it's both ways, both whatever. Ways. Yeah. Okay, I'll call you Vlad, it's easier. Okay, and uh, so we're talking about the heavy industry uh, business and how that's going for them. Tell me more about the industry that you guys operate in. So we call it heavy industry in our introduction. It would be good to know for people who might not know what that is, what that involves. Hi, my name is Vlad. I'm glad to be here and thanks for having me. Uh, We work in the heavy industry and we solve the issue of friction. So as you know, friction prevents all the mechanisms from working efficiently. It decreases the operations, it uses a lot of energy, it breaks the details and does a lot of bad stuff. So we are trying to develop materials that are able to defeat friction and uh, make it less painful for your details, for your mechanisms to start and work efficiently. Okay, and when we say heavy industry, it can be pretty much anything, right? Any kind of um, machinery that has friction? Yeah, so we work mainly within the oil and gas industry, compressors, construction machines, tracked vehicles, elevators. So everything that is heavy has a lot of pressure in it and pretty much, uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. And so what's what's the problem um, in this in, in, in these very different industries, I guess. So it's friction, but um, can you give us an idea of why this is an issue and how you're solving it better? So we have different friction units within the different industries. Uh, for example, let's tackle the example of the elevators. You know, when you have an elevator, there is a cabin and it is adjusted to some sort of liners or guide shoes and it goes up and down. And when it goes up and down, it creates a lot of friction and uh, you have to replace the detail that is a guide shoe every once in a while. And uh, for example, with our material, you can replace this detail with a way longer period of time. For example, we set up our things at the Bolshoi Theater in Moscow, and they used to replace these guide shoes once in every 14 days, I guess. 
and we set it up, I guess, nine years ago, and it's still working, so they didn't have to replace it. So it shows that uh, you can tackle friction and to make this elevator work better. So in this particular example, instead of two weeks, they can now use it for nine years? Plus. Yeah, yeah, wow, and great. probably way longer because uh, they haven't approached us. Uh, and we normally call them like once a year to check if everything's going fine. And they're like, yeah, we're pretty good, thank you. And no one fell in the elevator in the Bolshevik Theater. <laughs> no, no, no. We would have a lot of problems. And what's what's the magic? What's this magic material that makes this possible? Well, it's a polymer. It's a plastic, to say it in easier words. It has uh, several compounds. We use synthetic fibers and different types of aramide fibers, polyoxidiazole fibers, and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and we also use a phenolic compound to put it all together. Then we put all these fibers and compound into a molding machine, and then we mold it under specific pressure and temperature regime. So that's pretty much it. It's a really simple solution for a really difficult problem. Obviously, your material and the process are are secret. I'm guessing they're protected by yes, property. we are protected by many patents. And actually, this development of that material started in the USSR in the 60s as a means to provide uh, friction materials for the spaceships for the USSR space program. Before that, gold was used as a friction material, but gold has two problems. The first one is that it's expensive, but it doesn't matter since it's space and it should be expensive. <laughs> and the second problem is that gold is heavy. So the idea behind it was to create some sort of a plastic or a lighter material that can be as good in terms of friction or even better as gold to use it in the spaceships. And so you're a startup, you have about seven people now in your team? Yes. So how come the the larger companies, you were talking about oil companies, for example, how come they can't replicate this or have, have they tried? Well, many companies have tried on the Russian market, on the Chinese market. I guess several Indian companies have tried to do that as well. Well, it has to deal with the chemical thing because it's a thermosetting material. It means that you cannot actually melt it to do some sort of reverse engineering to see what kind of components were used there because once the chemical reaction has started, you cannot put it back. And well, everyone knows what kind of fibers are used in the friction materials, but the exact composition, the exact production process, and uh, a really important thing is the actual machining. So how you create the detail of a particular shape, for example, a bearing, that is uh, protected by our patents as well, and that's what we use in our operations. And do you feel like it's a matter of time until someone else figures out the secret or not (laughs) The previous version of the material, we call it the fourth generation of the material, has been around for I think seven years and several companies have tried to do it and they have failed. We see it as a risk to our business, but and we will try to mitigate it in the future, I guess, by opening up our own production facilities. Mm-hmm. But for now, we see that the companies cannot do that, and we will try to work as we do right now. So let's talk about the, the business side a bit. How is Oxafan doing? How, how big are you now? Yeah, what's the stage of development of your company? Yes, yeah, so as you might have guessed by my name, we are a Russian company. We have been around for quite a long time, and we are profitable, we are generating many profits within all our business units, and we found that we have been stuck 
in Russia because we cannot expand anymore. There are several clients that we are working with together and they stay with us for many years, but we are unable to find new clients because of uh, some difficulties. So we thought it would be a good idea to actually take it to the West and expand into Europe and to North America because there are many heavy industrial companies that are famous in the world. And we thought if uh, Russian companies can use it, why not big uh, companies on the West can do, use it as well? That's right. And we're very glad that you came also last year to Admocom. And hopefully that helped start some of those conversations with potential Western partners. Yes. Uh, thank you for <laughs> having <laughs> us last year. It really did help us a lot. We had several uh, partnerships. We are discussing the terms of our cooperation. And we're going to start testing the details uh, pretty soon with uh, the companies that we met. That's great. And it was our pleasure to have you here, of course. Um, so what do you think are the next big markets outside of, of Russia that you're going to go so into? So we are going to focus on the German market and I guess on the Canadian market. Germany, of course, is uh, the most developed industrial country in Europe. It has uh, many companies within all the industries that we are tackling and it's easier to approach these companies. Well, first due to the geographical proximity and second due to Admacom and to Enam. So we have a name, we have a partner that can support us in our activities and it's easier because they help us to to have some sort of credibility within uh, Europe. And then uh, Canada, because it's pretty close to Russia in terms of geographical situation. It's uh, It has uh, harsh conditions in terms of weather. It has a lot of nat natural resources. That's what mostly our materials uh, used for. They have oil. They have huge deposits of heavy oil that we are learning how to drill uh, using our materials. And they have all sorts of uh, other minerals or raw materials. So that would be an interesting market for us. Yeah, definitely. Sounds like the right place to go. So what I think is also really fun about, <laughs> about Oxfam is how you guys met and how you started building up your team. So maybe we can talk a bit about that because um, last year we met obviously you and also Dimitri, but can you tell us a bit more about the rest of your team and how it all came together? Sure. So Russia, just like Germany, tries to promote startups and young entrepreneurs. So we met at the conference that was dedicated to commercialization of innovation. So we met by accident. I was uh, sitting and uh, the guys, the two co-founders of the Russian uh, company, Dmitry, and uh, Valentin came and sat right next to me and they were speaking uh, with each other, not to me. And uh, then I've heard that uh, they were speaking about interesting stuff. They were they had some plans and they were thinking about how to do it. And they were speaking about expansion to, to the West. And I was like, oh, hey, guys, I studied in the United States. I know international relations. Um, I would love to have some sort of project that we can take. We can take it on a new level. So maybe we should start working together. So after that, we discussed and... Well, we're here yes, right now. Yeah. Did you know anything about friction or anything <laughs> about the heavy industry? Because you're not you're not an engineer, right? No, I'm not business. an engineer. Okay, so um, I studied in the physical school uh, when I was, uh, I mean, in, in high school. So I have some knowledge in terms of physics, chemistry, maths, and stuff like that. But after school, I thought that it would be better for me to uh, develop my career in international relations. Mm -hmm. 
But then when I finished my bachelor's degree in international relations, I thought it was a bad idea. So I was looking for ways to actually transfer back to to science, to technology, to things that really excite me and things that, you know, are interesting, especially today uh, with the boom of technology, internet companies uh, and other companies. And it was perfect because uh, we met Mitri, who is the chief technology officer of our company. He holds a PhD in chemistry and one of the leading Russian experts in tribology. This is the part of physics that deals with the friction. And also Valentin, who has a lot of experience in terms of negotiations, in terms of operations, and in terms of delivery. So he's the guy who ensures that we are making high-quality details. He's like two meters 20 centimeters tall, <laughs> pretty that huge helps. guy. So he is a good partner to have when we have negotiations with other people. Yeah. Especially in some parts uh, of the world. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I see. Interesting. So you studied international relations and then you got into the heavy industry. So that's the way to go. I can somewhat relate. I studied political science and not doing anything. Yeah, and you realize that you pretty much don't have a job when you. Uh, <laughs> but you do a lot of reading about politics while, yeah, while you study. So pretty, that's helpful. <laughs> It's interesting, but you cannot make money with that. The key is to find other engineers and partner with them. And yeah, <laughs> that's what I did. <laughs> that sounds good. Um, so we started doing this on a previous episode where we asked some of the people we interviewed how old they were when they seem to be ridiculously young <laughs> for the job they're doing. Yeah. So <laughs> would you maybe like to tell everyone how old you are? So yeah, um, I'm 24 right now. So when we <laughs> met with the guys, I was 23. I was in the first year of my master's degree that is dedicated to actually innovation management. And that's why I was actually visiting that conference to gain more experience in that. So previously I worked in business development within a Russian startup. I worked in, uh, and actually I work right now as I combine my job with the development of Oxyfin. I work as a product manager in a startup. So, and I have some experience in strategy for um, several companies that we were doing consulting kind of thing. That's quite impressive. And how, how do you find that people perceive you as a 24-year-old CEO? Well, I look young for my years, <laughs> so it's again. even harder to <laughs> speak to people. So in Russia, when actually some people approached me and asked about my age, they were excited. It's like, yeah, you're young, you have like all your life in front of you, so you can do great things and we're going to help you, so let's do it. But in Germany, it actually seemed way more conservative because all the people we talked to were asking me about my age and it seemed not maybe a problem with them but well a friction point let's put it that way <laughs> in the conversation yeah so yeah but in russian we have a saying that says that uh, age is a disadvantage that uh, diminishes quickly so yeah don't worry it way. goes away very yeah, fast yeah. <laughs> you won't even know what happened cool so what are the plans then for the for the next years for you maybe personally when it comes to oxfam where would you like to take it and where do you see the company going so our first plan is to actually start the operations in Europe and in North America in the fields that we are capable of doing right now. So we basically take our experience from the Russian market and do it on the West. Um, so we take the experience from the oil drilling industry. Uh, there are some friction parts in the pumps from the compressors. Those two are the most highly marginal parts of our business, where we can maintain a pretty high margin of at least 50%, up to 400, 800, because there is no set price for uh, the detail or a material, because all the friction units are different, and we normally put a lot of effort into designing the exact bearing for a particular application. And then you don't actually produce the parts yourself, right? Is that is that right? Yes, it is correct. We position ourselves 
itself as a construction bureau, so let's put it that way. So we design technical specifications and we have a pool of uh, partner factories that we work together that produce things uh, for us. Yeah, and the second uh, part of our strategy is to open up new, let's put it experimental things that we haven't tested yet, but we see a lot of demand in. For example, we can use our material as a stator in the oil pumps. So stator is a part that is around the actual drill that goes down or up there. And currently elastomeric, so they are made from resins. Elastomeric stators are used in the pumps and we can replace these elastomeric parts with that of our material since it has thermal resistivity properties and it actually enables us to extract heavy oil. Heavy oil is characterized by its high viscosity and by a high number of abrasives that are in there. And we are slowly running out of conventional crude oil, which is light oil, which is easy to drill. So you pretty much put a stick into the earth and it just starts to sprinkle out of there. With heavy oil, it's a bit more difficult. You have to use uh, some sort of uh, chemical waste for, to influence the oil well and it warms up uh, the oil significantly so it can go up and traditional materials cannot withstand such high temperatures. Currently their highest thing that we were able to find on the internet is 160 degrees Celsius and our materials can actually go up to 250 degrees in continuous operations. So we have pretty much 100 more degrees and since of, because of the anti-friction properties and resistance to chemical corrosion, you pretty much can uh, drill uh, the well and start extracting heavy oil with the same pump that you're using for it. So we are looking to expand into that direction because we see a lot of potential. And so are most of the large oil companies interested in you then? Because it sounds like it has a lot of potential. Have you contacted most of them? Uh, well, we contacted companies that are active on the Russian market and we found some difficulties with them because we are still learning how to explain our technology and explain the benefits that there are. But now we work with the, we started finding contacts of the companies that work on on the wells in uh, in Canada, actually in Canada and in Venezuela, there is the majority of heavy oil in the world. And uh, we will try to work with them in the near future, probably for the next year. We hope to at least set up a pilot project. Actually, several years ago in Canada, we tested a material with the pump for heavy oil extraction, but the company thought that they could do it themselves to replicate our material. They haven't been successful, but they haven't approached us. So we're gonna find a better <laughs> company to partner up with and to, to make oil extraction, heavy oil extraction possible. So you're not approaching them again? You'll go to no, of course not. <laughs> okay, sounds good. And um, is there any plan in the future to open your own production facility and to, to actually yes, have your own Yes, that is actually factory? the main advice that we have gotten yesterday at the Raw Materials Summit. We see a risk in, in the idea that the factories that we work together can sell uh, the products produced from our material directly. Uh, Would that not be illegal though, because you have patents on them? Yeah, it's illegal. illegal. We have the patents and protection, mm. but it takes some time to notice it first and then it's hard to start a legal action against these companies because risk, yeah. it takes time, it takes money, it takes effort. And as far as I know, you're, you cannot use your patent once the legal process is going. So it would also like put a halt on Yeah, your yeah. So there are legal issues and we try to diminish it by using our, let's say, negotiation power. And with one of the factories that we work together, we kind of divided the industries, let's say, that we are selling it to. But these guys actually don't know how to sell. So when they stop working with us, their, their sales actually decreased and they had to pretty much close down their factory. Wow, okay. Yeah. 
So, I mean, they see <laughs> value in working with us and they are interested in actually making it a fruitful cooperation. And if you did start your own production facility, I guess that would definitely turn you from a startup into a large-ish company, right? Well, yeah, it's a pretty capital-extensive thing and we are not raising any money, but probably it could be a good idea to start raising money to actually open up a plant. But the problem here is that the cost of our details is really low. For example, for one kilogram of raw materials that we use for production, they cost around one two dollars but we sell one kilogram of our details uh, for way more and the main issue here the main cost driver for us is delivery at least in russia because well russia is huge and we are based in moscow and the majority of our clients that do uh, resources extraction are located in the eastern part of russia so the cost to deliver the bearings to that in like six thousand kilometers is uh, about three times as much as the actual cost of the bearing right. so so probably we would look for some sort of solutions with uh, small scale production facilities that can be opened up anywhere. And yeah, we have to be close to, to the business uh, of our partners. So that might be an issue because we're going to have to open up uh, way more factories than one. So probably 10 or 15 at least. Right. So not have just one big plant, but have several depending on where your partners are. Well, we have are four plants partners. that we are partnering up. We have several plants in Europe, in the Czech Republic and in Moldova. And we have uh, plants in uh, in the Ural part of Russia, so... So you're pretty well connected. Well, yeah. <laughs> and of course, if we're going to open up operations in North America, we're going to have to partner up with uh, several factories over there to be able to, you know, to supply our products efficiently. That's great. So we'll definitely keep an eye out uh, and see how you guys are developing. And if you need our help, we're here in Berlin. If you want to open an office here or expand here, we'll be very happy to do that. Um, and we're looking forward to seeing you this year at Admocom, where you're hopefully going to be one of our mentors, maybe, for the upcoming startups. Probably. I would love to do it, actually. I don't know if we could transfer some of our experience there because it's really applicable to a single point. But if there are several startups that deal with heavy industries or with something that we can actually help us with our experience, we would be more than happy to help them. Or if we have any other very young entrepreneurs, you no, can of course. Yeah. <laughs> tell them how that works. Thank you for being with us today and we'll see you soon. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Hey guys, Christina again. Just a little note, if you want to get in touch with Oxfen, you can visit their website at oxfen.com. You can find Vlad on LinkedIn or you can email us and we can put you directly in touch with Vlad. All the links and the email addresses are in the description. And now back to our regular scheduled outro. Thanks for listening to Start Up The Science. If you like our show and want to know more about what we do, check out our website at enam.berlin. And don't forget to leave us a review. Until next time.